Hey everybody, welcome to the 15th episode of the With Podcast. Here we are once again trying to wrap our head, heart, and hands around one aspect of life, one part of being with, with in all its various forms, with God, with others, and with ourselves. Uh, I want to do something a little bit different today and speak to a passage of scripture that I have quite honestly been stuck on for the last several days. Every once in a while, that happens to me. Uh, I try to read the scriptures devotionally, and uh, from time to time, there will be one portion that I just can't get away from. And I use that, or I perceive that to be God getting at something, that He wants to sink something into my soul, and I just want to share with you all today. For me, uh, this past these past few days, it's been about John chapter 10. You know, there are a few passages of scriptures that everyone seems to know, or at the very least be aware of, regardless of their affinity for or attachment to Jesus and his church. I think, personally, that's because these passages have a richness and a depth that so obviously pull on critical parts of our shared human condition. Things like John chapter 3, verse 16, For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I think that resonates, or at least we are easily reminded of that, because we all know, deep in the core of who we are, that we want to be loved. Genesis 1 would be another passage of Scripture. The poetic, rhythmic nature of creation coming into existence. Even if our belief system at this juncture of our lives doesn't include God, we know that there's a space for something bigger than who we are. Another one would be Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. I wanted to read that just because I love that passage. Uh, But again, that's one that I think many of us easily resonate with because seasons are so obviously a part of the human experience. John 10 is one such passage, one that comes to our minds, one that is easily talked of. And I think that's because there is a deep revelation tucked and folded within it. It's the passage of scripture that Jesus is describing himself as the good shepherd. Uh, There's a lot of talk about thieves and robbers and right ways and wrong ways. And there's one portion in particular that simply sticks. Now, as we humans often do, Americans especially, the focus of this passage is made to be the rewards and the end result, as they relate to ourselves who are firmly at our own center. Are you with me? Uh, But we we honestly ask the question, what does this mean for me? What do we get? And that passage that I'm speaking to, or that scripture, is where Jesus declares that the enemy comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy, and I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. And we focus on that. What do we get? Abundant life or the effects of stealing, killing, and destroying? 
as an aside, if and when you read the scriptures, particularly the teachings, interactions of, and stories Jesus himself tells, try to read them as if he, God, is the focal point, that he, God, is the intriguing interest, not you and not yourself. One easy example that I've spoken to before is Luke 15, the the story of the prodigal son. Perhaps we would be better served to read it with God at the center, the story of the running father. But I digress. Yes, John chapter 10. This teaching of Jesus describes rewards and end results for sure. Those things are part and parcel to the particulars of our existence. But I would argue they're not even remotely Jesus's point. At best, they're a mention. Jesus opens up by talking about who is in the sheepfold, or rather, who more importantly is the shepherd, who's a thief, and who is the robber. He says in verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Right off the bat, he's talking about himself. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep which would be you and I, hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. It goes on and they don't understand. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't give up on them. So Jesus said again, don't you love the fact that God is willing to repeat himself. Verse 7, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. He goes on to describe the scenario of what happens with the wolf and the the enemy versus the good shepherd. And verse 14, I am, he says, the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that you are not of this fold, but I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Going all the way back to our paradigm of living, found through even Adam's example, God's voice, which I believe is the central point of this passage, was both common and critical. God's voice, even to Adam, was both common and critical. Critical in that God gave Adam direction. Take dominion, be fruitful, multiply, name the animals. Critical in the fact that God gave Adam warnings. You can eat of every tree in the garden, but don't eat of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The voice of God was common in that there doesn't seem to be straining for understanding on Adam's side. Adam hears and he obeys. How do we know this? Because he goes about the garden the way that God details he should. He names the animals as God describes that he should and that he could. And here's the thing. As I mentioned, even after sinning, it doesn't seem 
that Adam has a hard time hearing the voice of God. In Genesis chapter 3, we see God coming looking for Adam and he finds him and asks a question. He says, who told you? Where are you? And who told you that you were naked? Genesis chapter 3. There doesn't seem to be any difficulty in Adam having this discussion with creation, having a conversation with creator. I would argue our experience today is not any different. We all hear God's voice. I apologize if this is upsetting to some of you who might think that you are special, but the fact of the matter is that we are all made in the image of God. This is not software that has come necessarily in a download. This is hardware. We are hardwired as creation made by creator to have connection, to be able to hear and experience him in a very intimate and relational way. We hear God's voice, whether it be through the scriptures or the thoughts that we have, a still small voice. Maybe it's an inkling or a sign or a wonder. It's not that we don't hear God's voice. It's simply that we just often choose to go the other way, whether it be serving others, being moved by compassion or, or, or shutting things out and moving on simply for ourselves. I would hazard to say we hear God's voice more than we let on. We just choose to see things, most things, with ourselves at the center rather than Him. It reminds me of the, another passage of Scripture. The rich young ruler is what it's commonly called. This young man who is known to be wealthy comes and he's seeking, how may I inherit eternal life? Again, how am I the center of the universe? But he asks Jesus, the teacher, how may I inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes through the commandments and, and upon the conversation, the rich young ruler says, I've done all of these things, but he still has an ache. He still has this gaping space and is trying to meet that need. And Jesus tells him, you know what you need to do? You probably need to sell all of the things that are hanging onto your soul. And the rich young ruler, it says, goes away sorrowful. This for me is one of the most just, I don't even know what word to put to it, but it's just disturbing that Jesus gives this man exactly what he needs. And it's not that the man doesn't hear him. It's that the man chooses to to go away and God lets him do it. In Matthew 7 verses 13 and 14, this is at the tail end of one of Jesus' longest teachings. He says this, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Here's the thing about a passage of scripture like this. We often use it as justification for going our own way, for making the choices that we want to choose. Well, God's way is narrow and even says, God says it's hard to find. It's not that it's difficult or complex. That original language is, again, illustrative. There are word pictures in that passage. But again, it's not because we have to pull back and God is hiding from us. The voice of God is alive and well, and you and I and we 
were made to hear it. And again, whether it's in reading the scriptures, the thoughts that we have, or some other circumstance that we have of relating to and connecting with, I would argue we hear God's voice. It is still common to us today. It is still critical for us today. But we often choose to go our own way. And we even in the depths of our souls, you hear this, I, I would imagine that there is a bit of sorrow in you because I'm hitting on something. Even as God has been hitting something on me the last seven to ten days as I've been stuck in John chapter 10 and reading it over and wondering about my knowledge of God and wondering about my experiences with him and, and how I hear his voice and why do I hear his voice but not do what he says. It does often make me sorrowful to go my own way. But here's the thing. It's my choice. So here's the thing. As I'm leaning into it, I offer the same to you. Try it. Try hearing God's voice. Try hearing and listening. Stop walking around sad and downcast because decisions are difficult and life is hard as it is filled with things we don't want to do. Position yourself slightly to the left or to the right, if you so choose, of center in terms of your worldview and see if what you've always heard, what you've always had a an inkling towards, see if when you lean into that, It doesn't begin to hearten you, initiate for you, and give you passage for your soul, even as Psalm 23 declares that he has for us that pasture, that ability to go in and out, that he would indeed prove to be the shepherd that we are seeking, that he does have an opportunity for us to lie down in green pastures. He would like to lead us beside still waters. He would that our soul be restored. He would have us walk in paths of righteousness, that we would be in a place where we fear no evil, not because there aren't circumstances surrounding us, but we, we know we are surrounded by the God who loves us and who is for us. We hear God's voice. We just need to choose more to follow it. Now, may you and the way of our Christ go, be with and for others as God is for and with you.